Hello and welcome to Groovecast, the podcast for the rhythm section, with me Ashley Walker and me Charlie Smith. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about groove because that's what we're all about, Charlie, isn't it? Groove. Certainly is. And um, so we kind of thought, like during when we were starting Groovecast, we wanted to talk about lists and sort of our favourite albums and duos which we talked uh, in one of our early episodes about our favorite bass and drum combos um and we know at some point we wanted to talk about um our favorite albums and songwriters and all that kind of thing so um in sort of thinking about what we're going to do for today's episode we thought we'd try a different angle for our favorite albums and rather than go for just our favorite albums or our most listened to albums or uh, desert island albums or that kind of thing we thought we'd go for our top uh favorite groove albums so these are albums that are all based around groove and it might be funk or r&b or soul or jazz or you know or fusion it could be any of those types of genres and so we thought we'd talk about our favorite groove albums and um for this list we've decided rather than to go for a top five we'd go for our top three groove albums so that we could go into a little more detail and talk if charlie has a pick and i want to comment on something that i like about it or vice versa um we can do that and we should also just mention that the fact that we've decided to go for top three has made this extremely difficult (laughs) to pick just three of our favorite groove oriented albums i think it's safe to say that our both of our lists have been changing by the day leading up to leading up to actually recording this so it's, it's one of those things that probably you know if we look back on this in a couple of months time we'll probably disagree with ourselves again yeah and have a have a slightly different thought but as it stands right now i think we're we're both content with what we've uh, what we've come up with yeah and i think uh, though as charlie said we had short lists about as long as our arms to start with these albums that we have picked have always been on there and i mean like we say that in a couple of months time as with all musicians it could change but these albums will always be there or thereabouts for us. So I wonder, Charlie, do you want to kick us off with your... We're sort of going a kind of order, but like with all these lists, any of them could take the number one spot for us. But as we can go ahead with your number three pick. I yeah, suppose. so my number three pick is uh, the self-titled album by the Steve Gadd Band. So this is an album that I kind of was first introduced to probably four years ago now when it first came out um always been a, a fan of steve gadd um you know and really the the, the baseline of the uh, the base of this band is the base of the of the james taylor band it's it's yeah. it's pretty much that rhythm section um and just to run down the lineup it's steve gadd on drums uh jimmy jimmy johnson on bass who is a combo that we've talked about on on uh, i think it was episode two of Groovecast yeah. at, at length uh, michael landau on guitar kevin hayes on keys and walt fowler on trumpet and flugelhorn so it, it's a, a pretty uh pretty broad range of instrumentation that you can mm. that they had at, at their disposal and um i think that album even won the best contemporary instrumental album grammy um wow in 2019 so it was uh it was quite a quite a, an album when it came out and um it's one of those albums that you kind of glad it really did well because yeah it, it was for me it just encapsulates 
for what I'm about as far as groove goes, and it's keeping it nice and simple, really being, you know, the whole band are really tight. It's, you know, the the, the with Jimmy Johnson and, and Steve Gadd, you, you really get a great feel. You know, they, they mm. can really get into that sort of laid back, laid in feel where, you know, you can just, you know, I know we, we, we hate to use the word pocket, but there, there is a lot of pocket going on. <laughs> and it's not necessarily playing anything complicated or anything um, crazy, but it's just the way that they do it and how they keep it so simple, but make it so so listenable and and one of those albums that for me you can enjoy from top to bottom which i think for probably all all of our picks in this episode they're all going to be that kind of album that you can listen yeah. to front to back and and enjoy every track yeah. or enjoy even just as a listening experience not just as sort of background music day to day or whatever yeah i think like like you say with steve gadd's own band and it's like what he's made a career out of is just being like we said this word in the pocket and just dug in groove a solid drummer and like with his own project there are points where it's almost like he's allowed to let his hair down whereas when he's playing with Clapton these other guys he's just doing his job he's in his lane and that's why so many I think drummers love him and musicians why musicians across the board love him whether you're a drummer or a trumpet player or it's one of those guys that he's just so dug in in his place and holds it together he's just the perfect sort of session drummer yeah and as a band leader on this he just he, he did it perfectly because he just let everyone do their thing you know although they had the tunes written the the tunes were every every player put their stamp on it so you mm. know you, you hear it and it sounds like gad you know you hear the bass it sounds like jimmy johnson it's it's that kind of band where everyone everyone's there for the for the right reason and um yeah as we again, as we've spoken about before on Groovecast, getting to see that band in Ronnie's in London. Funnily enough, I went along with a bass player and a keyboard player, and all three of us walked away just blown away by it. And yeah. they played most, if not all, of that that album. Um, and yeah, it was just you know, if you think it's great on the record in a live sit- uh, situation, it just was even more so. Mm. You know, um, I've never seen a bass player stood so far back on a stage to be right next to the... Basically sat on Steve Gadd's lap with, <laughs> with the bass tucked right into the hi-hat. Just, you know, and the two of them together were just like a, a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's quite often you have you have that kind of line on a stage of where all the back line sits behind it with the drummer and then everyone else is in front. But <laughs> yeah. in this case, it really wasn't. It was Jimmy Johnson was squashed up against the back wall at Ronnie's right next to right next to Gad and, and just so in the groove with him. And it was, yeah, it was just a sight to behold and, and a sound that very few other setups can, can really give. Yeah, like you said, we have mentioned, because in our video, our second video, we did about top bass and drum combos and you went for Gad and Jimmy Johnson. And, um, I mean, it may be mentioned later on, we talk about our favourite albums like some of those James Taylor albums that feature them together and like you say they're just so dug in together and even though they're in their own lanes like one of the bands I'm going to mention on uh, this episode just talked about staying in your own lane um, they work so well together and Jimmy Johnson's got I think one of the loveliest tones of his bass it's like not toppy but it's 
resonates and you can hear all the notes like precisely what he's playing and together they're just yeah like you say a force to be reckoned with yeah i think i think that's that's just it and i mean as with all of our choices they're probably going to be quite rhythm section biased because (laughs) that's what we're kind of about but yeah um, just in general with the whole lineup it's just like they're all players who they've been around they've done all the gigs that you could do and then when you just stick them together and let them do what they want to do it just has you know really really great results and um and yeah that's why i kind of uh, was was quite quite happy to put it on my list and uh, yeah let's throw it over to to your side of the court for uh, your third place pick yeah so my third place pick was something when talking about the shortlists for this being so long the thing that made it easier even though it was like a gr- groove album which i for me would be different from my favorite album even though it's still one of my most listened to it's it could be my favorite album could be my favorite for different reasons maybe to do with the songs rather than the bass or the drums or which we're all about um but the thing that made it easier to pick these songs was like you said with your picks they're albums that we have listened to all the way through from start to finish and that made it easier because there aren't that many albums really that you can think you would listen to all the way through and love every song and you know might there's usually one or two that you'd skip because you don't like them but um when thinking of groove albums and just one of my favorite bands and rhythm sections um it made this pick easy and it's uh, earth wind and fire i am uh, the album they did in the late 70s um so lineup wise it would have been uh Vadine white on bass um drums i think was it might have even been maurice white on uh, mo- most of these tracks uh, ralph johnson and philip bailey doing percussion as well as so many other session players that they got in for this album and um the phoenix horns of course were on it and writing and producing and playing on most of the album was david foster which i think this is one of his sort of things that got him on the map and made his name um and it's an album that like i say you can just listen to from start to finish and love every song the groove is just incredible and um something i think verdine white does really good is just these unorthodox bass lines that you wouldn't think of yourself especially on something like in the stone which starts off the album it's all like off the beat and pushed which i think i always think and me and my dad laugh about sometimes because there was a i think a bbc uh, documentary a few years ago with earth wind and fire and verdine white and ralph johnson were on talking about their groove and what makes earth wind and fire so great and they said like the key to our groove and like percussion and the drums and the bass is that it's all on the one like everything's on the one man it's like in the stones none of it's on the one like bum 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 but like none of it's on it's all pushed but it's like and it's unorthodox but it just is such i mean that track what a way to open an album with that and you've got the phoenix horns on there and then um you've got uh Jay Graydon and David Foster wrote um, After the Love Is Gone Together, which I think is one of the great sort of love songs. And it's got this great groove as well. It's not just a ballad. It's like a a really different melody. It changes keys so many times. Um, It's really clever. And off that album, he had In the Stone, as I mentioned before, After the Love Is Gone and Boogie Wonderland, which I didn't know before 
looking into this that it was the emotions were on boogie wonderland with earth wind and fire and they did the backing vocals for it um and it was a big hit album after the love is gone and boogie wonderland i think both reached number two uh, they were the two singles off the album um uh, and also featured on it which uh, may get mentioned later on when it came to sort of our picks and this sort of era late 70s and 80s so many of those great iconic albums featured um the guys from toto uh steve luke david page the Picaro brothers and um without even realizing looking into this album uh, i realized that steve luke actually played guitar on the album because obviously he was such great friends with david foster and jay graydon and steve Picaro programmed all the synthesizers on the album and did all that stuff so without realizing you start to realize it's not so much a coincidence that all these great groove albums from the 80s uh, 70s and 80s um featured these guys because i think they just knew that groove just oozing out of them um yeah so great album awesome grooves a lot of syncopation in it which i think um you'll find in a lot of these sort of funk and r&b stuff um and yeah unorthodox bass lines and which i think is why Verdine white even though i think in a lot of ways he's underrated he does when bass bass players especially funk players talk about uh, their inspirational heroes and idols he's usually mentioned because of the unorthodox bass lines and he has influenced so many bass players yeah i totally agree on that i mean what an album um it's just one of those um sort of quintessential um you know, funk sort of al- albums. You know, and, and you got the a great rhythm section on there, as, as you say, and and mm. some of the tracks that are on. I mean, Boogie Wonderland just it's like it's become a, a real staple of every every function yeah. band. And and uh, after the love has gone, it's just yeah, as you say, what a what an absolute tour de force of an arrangement that was. With as you say, you know, the key changes and. And just the the sound of it, it's one of those really big sounding tunes that's yeah, that's I think still just as popular probably now as it ever was, and it's one yeah. of those things that you still hear it on the radio, you still hear um, it being played, um, and it's yeah, it's it's one of those that's that's never going to go away. It's it's always going to be a great album, irrespective of whether you listen to you know pick it apart like we do or whether you just listen yeah. to it because you like the songs yeah and i think you know as well i mean i grew up and knew earth wind and fire and i think we all grew up hearing songs like boogie wonderland september in the stone all these kinds of songs on the radio um but then sort of getting into music and learning about the great producers and writers like david foster and for him to still say that they're his favorite band and some of his best work was done on that i think just says it all really about the band and this album in particular i mean um like we said listening to songs top to bottom and there's some songs on there that aren't as well known and doing some research on this album it actually got quite a bit of flack at the time when it came out because they sort of thought some of like you said with after the love is gone it's such a big piece and the strings and the horns and everything and it's like a massive sounding piece of music and it actually got quite a bit of stick at the time for being overproduced and i just think like how it needs to be produced that well otherwise i don't think you're doing those songs justice and i think um 
yeah it's one of those like you say great albums that it's it, and gets forgotten about and when we were thinking of doing this episode i was straight away thinking of groove earth wind and fire and uh, was just reminded of this album and just thought i've got to get that in there so yeah that's why i, I went for that on my uh number three pick and also i think with a what almost happened with my three picks because of the 70s like was so you know when disco was born and groove and r&b and all those and soul like almost all three of my albums were going to be from the 70s but i went i changed up a little bit uh so you know you're in you're in luck today (laughs) yeah i mean it's it's one of those things that i think we both nearly fell into that that kind of trap of it all being very (laughs) and and in fact i mean though probably the musicians are aging now shall we say yeah. Two of my three picks are actually w- released within the last five or ten years, so it's yeah. like there actually there's actually some. It's not you know, I, you, you do hear it banded around now and again that oh you know, no one's putting out great music anymore, and I think it th- there is. It might just yeah. not be the it might not be the whatever's charting or whatever's popular, but the music that's got that that groove or got that you know that little something special is definitely still still out there and still being put out there by um you know if you look in the right places yeah speaking of which uh, shall we go on to your uh, number 2 pick so yeah on on exactly that subject this is an album from 2017 um and it's uh, Simon Phillips and Protocol 4 so uh Protocol as as a band which is what it is is has been around for 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 years and years and years in in various guises always led and and sort of you know it does all the songwriting or a lot of the songwriting by simon phillips and i mean simon was you know drummer for toto played with pete townsend and Mm. uh, you know very 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 varied session player and been around for, for probably the best part of 40 years or more so with someone like that at the helm you always know it's going to be good and to pick one of the protocol albums was was hard enough uh and i think they've just put protocol five out now i've got a copy of that on the way which i can't wait to have a listen to um with a slightly different band lineup to protocol four which was slightly different to three two and one so uh yeah so protocol four reason kind of why i I went with that of all of them was it was the one that introduced me to them it was the mm. one that was fresh at the time when I really started to get into into Simon's playing at least and and you know aside from his Toto stuff the stuff that he's done solo so uh, lineup wise on this we've got Greg Howe on uh, guitar uh, Dennis Harm on keys and Ernest Tibbs on bass so it's like it's just a four piece but it's you know i mean it's jazz fusion but you're getting the elements of funk in there and and getting you know all sorts of things going on i mean just just as a key the the opening track uh, nimbus is a 9 minute odyssey of um of absolute craziness but it's just you know to have to do that kind of thing you've just got to be of such a standard of musicianship that you've got to know you know, knowing where you are and uh, where you are and and what you're doing is, is yeah. And Nimbus, in fact, I think is probably my favourite track on there. It it will be a toss up between that and Pentangle, which is a piece that uses quite obviously quite a lot of five. <laughs> so it's 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 
yeah, it it was quite a an obvious one on the on the short list for me. And again, like the the Steve Gadd band, it was one that I got to I got to see live again with a slightly different band lineup, with mm-hmm. Simon uh, on kit obviously and, and Ernest Tibbs on bass, but um, with Alex Sill on guitar, uh, Jacob uh, Sensi Oskesny, not sure how to pronounce that on uh, on sax, and uh, Otmaro Ruiz on um, on keys. So it's it's. Um, yeah, and you know, even with a different lineup playing that, it was still just as good as the as the original recording. And I think with with kind of fusion and and, and jazz fusion in particular, it can kind of go down a rabbit hole a bit too far sometimes. Yeah, it can kind of get complicated for the sake of being complicated. Mm. But I think that especially the way that Simon Phillips writes uh, his music, he, he writes it to be so it sounds good it doesn't matter what time signature it's in it sounds good first and mm. you know being able to move through all of that with without you really noticing that it's changing time signatures or it's changing tempos at times or feels or whatever it it's just so smooth and yeah you know it's when you're listening to it you shouldn't have to think about that i don't think you know and there are those bands and it tends to be you know quite a lot of the prog rock stuff as well they they want you they want you to know that that they're changing time signature or they you know they make it kind of obvious but in this case it's it's really subtly done and and it's done with the music in mind so the music makes sense and uh, yeah. yeah much like the the gad band i mean this this particular album i think was nominated for a grammy i don't know if it won it but it was definitely nominated for a, for a grammy award um mm. and rightly so um because again you know as we say these albums sometimes slip under the radar a little bit and it's good that when they do get a bit of recognition and you know it's unless you're a drummer you may not know who Simon Phillips is and it's it's yeah it's it's one of those where again it could fall into the trap I mean as a drummer you could Simon could have fell into the trap of having you know he uses a, a really big drum kit but again he knows when to use it so you know he knows when to, to to play the big fills and the, the things that you kind of want to hear when you put something like that on, but also you're getting tons and tons of groove where he's just locking in with with Ernest Tibbs and and making a really good racket. Yeah, I think like yeah, once again like a, one of the great drummers and um, similarly with Steve Gadd having you know like you mentioned playing with Toto and Pete Townsend and these guys where he is in the pocket and you know dug in grooves but i think for me one of my favorite toto lineups were well a couple of my favorite toto lineups were the ones with him in them and whether it be lee sklar or nathan east and um even on those i mean he's like just dug in and and trying to do justice to those songs but then you know they do um go off on their tangents as they do in things like rosanna and you can tell what a great drummer he is uh just doing those types of things with Nathan East and, and Lee Sklar. And like you say, I think it's really right, like with the different type signatures and stuff and with the prog rock stuff, it is like you say, they they want you to know and and um you are like trying to think, Oh, what time signature is this in then? It's ten something or a fifty but I think like it's a, a totally other skill to like you say, with his band and with some of these fusion uh, more modern fusion bands they do that but it just rolls over you and like you say you, you just can have it on and just love the music and not realize until you then 
you might look at the sheet music or you watch somebody on YouTube covering it and they say, oh, this bar's in 10-8 and this bar's in this and you didn't realise. And I think that's a skill in and of itself. And Simon Phillips, just one of the greats at, at that particularly. Yeah, and I think it comes down to, to, to something that a lot of those musicians, especially in the jazz fusion thing, go for is they don't ever think of what time signature it's in. They just play it to the sound, you know, to, to the melody. You know, yeah. they aren't they aren't necessarily counting it as much as they're just they're going with what what sounds right. Yeah. And, and by not counting it, I think that's what really helps give it that that feel. Yeah, and you know with him as well, playing with all these guys and all these session things that he's done, you know that he's come from a very uh cultured and he's got that musical knowledge in him, so they can do that and like even though like you say those guys they do it without thinking about it but they have that knowledge so then when it comes to having jammed or written it without thinking about it afterwards they can say okay like that's obviously in five four or that's in and then make it sort of musically correct if you like I don't... yeah <laughs> but, um... I'm, I'm totally with you on that and and yeah it's it's just another one of those albums you know where where I don't think there's a bad track on it. Everything and, and every track is different. Every track comes with a different thing, which I think yeah. is something we'll we'll probably get to in in a bit with with definitely with my first pick. But <laughs> um, every track brings something different, and it, you know it's not one of those albums where they all sound the same. Every yeah. track is is decidedly different, whether it's you know a slower thing, um, or it has a a, a big build up or whatever. Um, you know, uh, just thinking of it, there's a there's a great song on it called um, Celtic Run, which has just a, a really great intro, but then it just flips on a coin to when they get into the groove, and you go from a very legato sort of building thing to a, a much more syncopated groove, and and just again, not only playing those grooves in those time signatures, but having that pocket there, and and still keeping it really locked together between. Uh, between Simon and, and Ernest Tibbs and you know it's I mean I've always liked that combination um, the two of them seem to work really well together and mm. um, and yeah they 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 the one of those combinations that we've spoke about before where they just know how to let each other have the space that they need to to do what they want to do yeah and I think that leads on very nicely into my number two pick talking about um, the groove and uh in the pocket because once again thinking about this list this was the album and the band for me that had to be in there and it's partly like with two of your picks i got to see him live and like you said it's a totally different experience seeing them uh, seeing some of these bands live and they played this whole album in the first half uh, for their first set and it's average white band and it's their album titled average white band but it became commonly known as the white album for them um, and uh, lineup wise, it was like with um, Simon Phillips stuff. It changed, changing all the time, and because they're so talented, they swap around on instruments. I know the main lineup was Alan Gorey, who was the lead singer on most of the tracks, bass player, uh, and I think played a lot of the rhythm guitar on it. You had Hamish Stewart, who sang lead, which I wasn't aware that he actually sang lead on the songs. I knew he sang. Um, and had a great career after Average White Band, but he sang lead on a lot of the songs as well, and guitar and bass. Uh, Oni McIntyre 
um, who did rhythm guitar and backing vocals, and Robbie McIntosh played drums and percussion, as well as all the additional musicians, which we don't have time to go through right now. But I thought the ones that did deserve a mention were uh, the Brecker Brothers, which featured on um, Pick Up the Pieces and uh, a couple of other tracks on off the album, um, which I think, again, shows what a good album, what a good band they are to get that level of musician in on it. Um, and the reason I had to pick it was just because so many, especially just the first five or six songs, are just so groovy and just like dug in. And with Average White Band, it's different where it is just that, like we said, and we're going to keep mentioning in the pocket and the bass isn't doing anything complicated. And the drums uh, to the untrained ear, you might think it's a really boring gig because they're just dug in playing sort of the same groove, but it's just so great to listen to and when we got to see them live um it was just one of our favorite concerts that we've been to because every song was just so funky and dug in and great vocals as well alan gory they're still going strong now with a slightly different lineup and but he's still sounding just like the record um and a few of the tracks that have got to be mentioned are you got it which again i think with these albums that i've picked they all have like a belt in opening track that just grabs you straight away um so you got you got it uh got the love which is a, a bit more laid back but still just a great groove pick up the pieces pick up the pieces which obviously went on to become this massive track for musicians and when it came to instrumental gigs i can't remember the amount of gigs where it's like with a sax or something and it, an instrumental piece and it's like oh pick up the pieces do you know that one um person to person and um, work to do and uh, the other two tracks that I thought were worth a mention and um, doing some research on it uh, the album went to number one I think a year after being released uh, pick up the pieces went to number one as a, one of the singles and the other single work to do went to number 10 in the same year so it was a big massive hit for them and again I think this was the album that sort of launched the band really and then went on to have some great other tracks like cut the cake and atlantic avenue and which again could have been could have been picked those albums that and singles like i would love to have picked for this but um this once again one of those albums that i have listened to time and again all the way through just because i have to listen to the next tracks it just grabs you and holds you there and i think what's um when listening, because I know after we both picked our albums, we ended up listening to um, them like afterwards just to get a bit of inspiration and remember how great they are and why we picked them. And with like this era and with um, Earth, Wind and & Fire and Average White Band and Chic and all these groups from the 70s and um, Barry White and like all of those stuff, all of the tracks have at least, at least two guitars all the time, one playing the chords, playing a rhythm, thing and another guitar playing a little riff just like staying on the same couple like just based around four uh, three or four notes just doing a little and that like with average white band like that's and when we saw them live that's what happened it's like alan gory played bass and then at one point the keyboard one of the second keys player he went on bass and alan gory went on guitar so there were like two or three guitars one playing the chords another one playing a bit more of a, a sustained thing and then Alan Gorey doing the little riff that you like when you listen to pick up the pieces and cut the cake like you listen to it and you can hear it's 
like even though it's like so low in the mix you can always pick those two things out which i think is like like i say no coincidence that like all those great groove tracks that we love have that kind of thing on because i think that's what makes the groove is these little uh things in their own lanes and like when it all comes together it sounds great and uh, with average white band they always have a great groove between the bass and the drums and when we saw them live that's what um made me love them and then after the first set after they played through this whole album the first set it was just like i've got to download that and listen to it and it was on for weeks on end afterwards but um so that's my number two pick and i think that kind of speaks for itself <laughs> yeah i mean again uh, one of those quintessential albums that's just it's well known among you know among musicians and fans of the band for all the right reasons uh, i mm. mean pick up the pieces i think has been a favorite of mine for forever I've, I've always really liked that that tune and and as you said there's some other great tunes on that album and just great musicianship all around and really well thought out you know it's you can tell that they really thought about what what they were going to put into the into each song to make it as perfect as as it can be um yeah. which very much very well leads on to my number one pick which um is of absolutely no surprise to ashley but it's um steely dan's asia now yeah. um asia has probably been if if there's any one album that i've taken the most of in terms of how i approach things it's it's probably going to be from from asia you know it's just having again having the right sound the right style and the right approach to each song and i mean with 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 the steely dan thing and and all of their albums pretty much especially after after they sort of disbanded the original lineup and they just they just got the session players in and they got you know they would have in this case i think there's a different drummer on pretty much every single track because you know and, and same with throwing guitarists around and different people taking solos and it's just because they knew what they wanted they they knew what they wanted sound wise they knew what they wanted uh for each song and i think the, the key genius with all of this is not only having each song sound good individually but still having it sound good when you play them one after another which is for, for songs with different players and different sounds on every single song they somehow they somehow achieve it and um i think it just um yeah it just does it for me with with that album i mean just briefly running down of course you've got donald fagan and and walter becker on pretty much everything and then um aside from that um it's it's just you know um a who's who of, of of good players and um you know you've got steve gadd playing the, the the solo on on the title track which is just something else again uh you know mm. you, you've got um jim keltner on josie which i know is one of our joint favorite uh <laughs> joint favorites as 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 we've covered it in in the past and purdy's on there michael mcdonald is is doing backing vocals on on a few tunes and yeah it's just it, it's kind of every great musician of that time is is in some way involved and that's 
you know that for me just just makes it amazing and 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 makes it one of those albums i can keep coming back to keep listening to and keep enjoying just as much as the first time yeah it's it's i think it's one of those musicians albums that every musician has listened to and owned at one point or another and and um one again like we've mentioned steely dan i think quite a bit on this uh on our podcast but it, it's just because they've just got so much they're one of those great bands and this is one of those albums that has influenced everyone either directly or indirectly and um i think like you've mentioned before to me and i'm not sure if we have on the podcast just the fact that um you know especially with this album and and i think it was sort of around this time that like you say they started experimenting with the session players rather than having a set band and it's just one of those albums where they have different players almost near enough on each track a different rhythm section a different i think purdy's on almost all the tracks i'm not sure if he's on all of them but um certainly a different drummer gad keltner and it sounds but it doesn't sound any different when you get onto the next track it doesn't it could easily be steve gad or keltner but they're just playing for the song and each song works it doesn't sound like this is a different load of music oh this is obviously a different group of musicians because it's a totally different feel it just all works and um well it's exactly that i mean i think the only constant is really chuck rainey who's on everything other than deacon blues which i think uh walter becker played bass on that and i think that's the only one he's not on uh other than that it's all chuck rainey on bass and then yeah just running down the list of drummers you've got um Steve Gadd on on the title track. You've got uh, Paul Humphrey on on Black Cow, uh, Purdy on Deacon Blues and Home at Last, um, Ed Green on I Got the News, and then uh, uh, Rick Marotta on Peg and and Keltner on Josie. So it's like, you know, you you couldn't ask for a really a better selection of drummers who all do their thing, and that's kind of I think the 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 genesis of of, of Steely Dan is that they, yeah, they called on all these players. But they got them to do what they do best. Yeah. So you know, uh, you know, getting Gad to do the drum solo maybe wouldn't have been everyone's first pick, if if you know what I mean. But mm. they knew that he would come in and make it not just a solo; it would that it would be a part of the groove and and work yeah. with with everything else they were doing and and not just be a drum solo for for the sake of a drum solo. Yeah, I think like what you were saying there is exactly what I was thinking about Steve Gadd doing that solo because I've seen it before where they have they've also uh, almost not called it a solo because like you say it is part of the groove um and um I am now realizing as well that I muddled up uh, Bernard Purdy with Chuck Rainey which is why I said they were on every track but that's why I think um that the sort of groove works and the rhythm section there's somebody sort of holding it down and Chuck Rainey is obviously on near like every track so it, it doesn't sound too different and like you say I, th- I think you put it perfectly by saying they got each drummer in and to their to play to their strengths and purdy playing like the shuffle um on was it home at last or um yeah home so, at last. yeah then that's yeah it's just textbook uh bernard purdy and yeah one of the great albums of all time for sure yeah, and uh, I'm sure that's exactly what you're going to offer up for uh, for your number one pick. So let let's yeah, hear so it. Yeah, so for for my number one pick, um, this one changed quite a bit, and 
again, I was almost going to fall down that rabbit hole of just going for three albums of a similar era. And um, uh, I think uh, we might mention a few sort of honourable mentions that we were gonna, we could have, we could have easily had in in these uh, in this list. But the one I had to go for was more of a modern album, um, just to uh, change it up a little bit. And it's uh, Corey Wong uh, live in Amsterdam which was the album Corey Wong did, um, well, a concert he did a couple of years ago, I think uh, three or four years ago now, with the Metropole Orchestra uh, in, in Amsterdam. And um, it was released as an album in 2020. And it was I just remember it being really talked about at the time, even among people that weren't fans of Corey Wong or Wolfpack or where they might know him from or some of this other stuff they that, uh, that he's done. But... Um, it, and again, it, it's one of these albums that I think reaches across the aisle almost between and change, uh, reaches across the different worlds from the orchestral world to the the funk world, and it does it so brilliantly. And the arrangements are absolutely stunning on some of these tracks, um, and I think it makes it sound like the tracks were almost made to sound like they were that meant to be with an orchestra. Um, so I thought I would mention the arrangers, even though I'm about to totally mess up a couple of the uh, how to pronounce their names. Uh, but it was arranged by uh, Jeremy Levy, uh, Joachim Neufer, apologies if that's uh, mispronounced, and Vladimir uh, Nikolov. They were the three arrangers, I think, for the orchestra themselves, as well as um, Corey Wong, who obviously wrote all the tracks. And um, he produced and mixed and mastered uh the album when it uh, was released on Spotify and, and all those other platforms. Um, it also featured Cody Fry, um, who has been a long-time collaborator with Corey Wong, and he did a couple of his original songs, which I think, I may be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he arranged the string parts himself because he does do quite a bit of that, and he played piano and sang on it and did a fantastic vocal on uh, his couple of tracks. Um, and, yes, yeah, again... As I mentioned, and I, I'm now realizing that each of these albums starts with such a just belting first track, and this one starts with Ketosis, um, which is a sounds great. When Corey Wong, I've seen him on YouTube and stuff, play it live with his own band, and he's always got a great brass section and uh, horn section and a great rhythm section, and it's just fast straight out of the gate. And this version with the orchestra is just just supreme. It's just awesome. Um, just fast, still a tight groove. The bass and drums are just so locked in and together. Um, the arrange, the orchestra arrangement for it is just wonderful as well. It just offers so much light and shade between the sort of funk and groove of the rhythm section and Corey Wong's guitar, and then you've got the strings playing legato and and sort of a more emotional. Almost, if you took the rhythm section away, it would be a totally different piece because of what they're playing. And then you've got the horns bridging that gap between the orchestra and his band because they're playing in a very tight and funky way, which I'm sure um, that some members of the orchestra might have not been used to playing that type of groove. But um, I, I think as well, it just deserved a mention because um, like I think we've seen sort of certainly more recently the Metropole Orchestra doing these types of concerts with people like Corey Wong and Marcus Miller and it, you know it says that these two worlds of orchestral and funk and fusion and jazz they're not too different and there are similarities and so that's why i had to go for this Corey wong live in amsterdam because it's just 
one of my favorite albums of all time really yeah i think it's it's good as well that you went with a live album because it's something that had crossed my mind but i kind of didn't want to open the can of worms of having even more choice and even more options to go with you know and yeah because a lot of live live albums especially from some of the, the bigger artists tend to be a greatest hits live sort of thing rather than yeah. it being so specific uh, but in the one that you picked it's it's kind of good that it's been specially arranged for that that project and uh not being you know you, you, you're talking to the uninitiated here as far as a lot of the the, the <laughs> stuff uh but which will change at some point no doubt but um you know just <laughs> having heard the, the little bits and pieces that i have and and knowing what their kind of style is you know it's it's certainly on your recommendation going to be an album i'm going to be giving a spin to at some point and and having a really having a listen to because it's, it's one thing i think as we'll both agree to listen to an album while you're doing something it's a total other thing to sit with the intention of listening to an album or you know or or listening to a piece of music because you you miss so much when you're yeah. not focused hey. into it yeah and it's one of those concerts as well it's on youtube and i think it was released on youtube before uh the playlist was uh released and the album itself was released on spotify and it's one of those as well that you can just sit and just when you've got a couple of hours and just sit and watch and me and my dad did and you know you turn off the lights and get your speakers on and just like you say take it in which is a totally different experience and give it your full attention and you have a whole new appreciation for it and a whole new appreciation for someone like Corey wong who can sometimes be you know called and just put into one box of what he does but he's got a whole other side to him as a producer and a mixer and arranger that isn't as talked about and um yeah one of the my favorite albums absolutely love it yeah and what a way to wrap up what has been i think talk about six really really great <laughs> and very groovy albums yeah and i think you know as as far as honorable mentions we could we could go on um all day uh <laughs> But I mean, I don't know if you have any that you you, you particularly wanted to uh, to to make mention of. Yeah, I, I, the the reason I wanted to make mention is as well because we certainly will be covering more albums. We may go over some of the albums that we've talked about today. Certainly, like uh, Asia, and um, in future we, we we will be talking about more. But when it comes to groove albums, the other albums that I did think about that may not make the cut in future are um, Chic. Uh, I was gonna. I wanted to pick one of their albums, but it was too hard to pick out of because uh, they had only a couple of a handful of albums, and they each had sort of iconic songs on. But I was gonna possibly pick their self-titled uh, album. Marcus Miller uh, Renaissance is a fantastic album, certainly worth uh, a listen to. Uh, James Ingram. Um, Michael McDonald. There were so many albums by those artists that we both love and yeah. we were going to pick, but uh, unfortunately they didn't make the cut. Yeah, and and say for me it was there was you know Quincy Jones was was one I'd love to have have gotten in there somewhere. Uh, I think uh, the dude, his album is just an absolute masterpiece. Um, mm. And you know as well as that, you know going back to what we were saying about the Picaro Brothers, uh, Boz Skaggs' Silk Degrees album. Again, another one that's just one of those that you can listen to top to bottom and just just absolutely adore and um and funny enough an album i've only come round to probably 
more recently as far as reading the uh, Jeff Beccaro biography and it being kind of talked about a little bit and and yeah what what an album you know I didn't know what I was missing out on uh, with uh, <laughs> with that one but but yeah it's um it, there's definitely a, a, many more that we could have we could have talked about uh, in this list and and more that we we definitely will talk about uh, in the future yeah and um mentioning the future we thought it was worth a mention that um this is our obviously our ninth episode of Groovecast and we've decided that the next episode our 10th will be the final episode for this season of Groovecast um before we go off and come up with some new ideas and angles to talk about Groove um so the next episode uh, the next installment of Groovecast we're planning on having a very special guest and a, a different um a different idea for you and hopefully something for everybody to enjoy so um that's going to be our our 10th and final episode for this uh, season so you need to make sure to stick around and, and check that one out as well for sure absolutely and um always as and as usual uh we'll see you again on the next episode <laughs>